0: morning. How are you doing, Calvary family? It's really good to be with you today. Didn't the worship team really bring us some songs this morning just to understand um, how good our God is? Joy in the house of the Lord. We're going to talk about inexpressible joy today. We're going to look at the letter of the Apostle Peter to the church in all of Asia. So you're going to take your Bibles this morning and go to the first letter of the Apostle Peter... And we're going to look at that together. We're going to go back. I actually preached through this book several, several months ago. Matter of fact, it was right at the beginning of this whole shutdown in 2020. And as I went back through the New Testament and I began to read and I began to think about we as people, the people of God, the church, what would it take for you, for me, for us, for we, the people of God, to move forward? What would it take for you as a follower of Jesus, me as a follower of Jesus, we the people of God as followers of Jesus, to come to a point where we stop saying, well, when this happens, then I'll get serious about my faith. When this happens, then I'll go back to church. When this happens, then I'll start acting the right way. What would it take For the people of God today to return to health and return to a growth mindset, a kingdom mindset that God has for his children. Um, I'll tell you what it would take. A pandemic. It would take problems. It would take challenges, both personal, global. What would it take in your life? Let me frame it a different way. Is there a legitimate reason that you as a Christian, one that claims the name of Jesus, the, the salvation of Jesus, the quality of his blood credited to your account to cleanse you, forgive you, and to give you life, what would it take or what reason would you say, God, I'm just going to park it here and wait for your next move or something better to happen before I get into action with you? When I, when I think about what the Apostle Peter wrote to Christians, I actually went back and I was looking through I was like, well, I already preached through this. Normally, I don't like doing that. But when I went back and I looked at from the New Testament, the New Testament church, where's an example of where people who are seeking to grow closer to God? to understand God, to grow closer in their relationship to God? Where's an example in the New Testament where people legitimately had to overcome fear, challenges both personal and corporate, and yet show that they were true followers of Christ? Where's an example? And The Apostle Peter writes this letter and the second letter to the Christians in Asia Minor. Actually, if you look on a map, it's fascinating because this letter that we start reading today, he's writing it from Rome. And if you look on a map, you have Italy over here to the west. You have all of Greece right in the middle. And you have all of Turkey, modern day Turkey, over here to the east. And this letter cycled through all of the churches of that entire region of the world. So what you and I are going to study over the next few weeks together as we think about, okay, God, what would it take for me personally to move forward in my life by faith and to express that I desire to be a healthy believer, a healthy believer. Christian in my world. You're going to see how Peter would help the Christians then do that and how it's going to help you and I today. This series is called Bloom. I Actually, it's funny, prior to the pandemic, I actually went through this series and wanted to call it Bloom then, but gosh, when you're in the midst of a pandemic, you don't really want to hear, oh gosh, Bloom where you're planted because everybody was trying to figure out their life and figure out how they can make it work. We all have been through that. All people that I know have been through that. As a matter of fact, many of the people that I talk with, we're all hoping that all of this is over. But what do you see? You see this kind of jet lag effect in people's brains, in their, in their lives, in their actions. It's like people are just living in a fog, living in a funk. I find people are more frustrated. They're more stressed out. Hey, I went to a kid's soccer game last night. And at the soccer game, there were grown-ups wanting to fight teenagers. And I'm sitting here going, come on, that's a sign that the world's really stuck. As Christians, how do we move out of that stuck place? How do we move out of that point where, gosh, we've forgotten who we are and therefore we need direction? How do we do that? Well, the Apostle Peter, he teaches the Christians then, and I, I hope that together you and I can learn how to bloom. And to bloom where you're planted. What I find in life for many people is that we usually get stuck waiting on the next. We get stuck waiting on the next relationship, the next job, the next location. Whether that's a place that we're going to move our family or whether we're going to retire. And people get stuck in life. I think if you look at our culture and our country, people have gotten stuck in a lot of ways over the last couple of years. How do you avoid getting stuck? You learn to bloom as a Christian and to bloom where you're planted. And the Apostle Peter writes these words. I encourage you to read along with me just the first 12 verses of the first letter of the Apostle Peter. This is what he says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who reside as aliens, strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia... Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved for you in heaven. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Listen. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating As he predicted the sufferings of Christ. And the glories to follow. It was revealed to them. That they were not serving themselves. But you. In these things which now have been announced to you. Through those who preached the gospel to you. By the Holy Spirit. Sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Now this first introduction as the Apostle Peter gives to the Christian Christians in that region of the world we talked about is very important. Because this letter is written to a group of people of whom many of you today, many of us sitting in this room, would be a part of that. The interesting thing about the Apostle Peter's ministry is it tracks back, if you remember in the book of Acts, how Peter was revealed in a dream that all people were able to receive the message of Jesus Christ, not just the people of Jewish heritage. They were called Gentiles. In the culture of that day, you were either as viewed by the Jewish people, someone of the heritage and the line of Israel, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and therefore you were God's special person. That's how they began to view themselves. And if you did not fit into that group, you were a Gentile. And many of the frictions that occurred in that culture, in that generation, was you're either one or the other. And if you're not a person of Israel, a Jew by descent or by choice... Then you're a Gentile. And Gentiles, according to people believing back then, were excluded from the grace of God. Now what's interesting about that is in Scripture, and the Apostle Peter points this out, in Scripture that was never taught. But in practice, you know how people do. Even if they are taught the proper way from Scripture, sometimes culturally divisions occur. Sometimes based on attitude, opinion, background, circumstance. And therefore, divisions begin to occur amongst people, amongst cultures. We see that today. It happens all the time. And Peter, the Apostle Peter, begins this whole thing by saying, Listen, I'm not writing to the people who are creating the divisions I'm writing to the church that is primarily made up of people outside of Israel who have received the grace of God, understood the grace of God, and understood who Christ was, received Him by faith, and have joined the family of God even though they weren't born by heritage in the family of God. It would be like today, for example, maybe you've been raised in a Baptist church and someone asks you the question, Hey, um... Have you given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ? And do you follow Jesus Christ? And you respond, well, I'm a Baptist. As if you were born into a Baptist church or you've attended a Baptist church. Or maybe you've been baptized in a Baptist church and that's good enough. But you've never actually by faith, personally, genuinely, authentically said, yes, Jesus' blood is my sacrifice. I am grateful that his forgiveness comes to my life, and I'm a follower of Christ. Uh, Perhaps in our culture, you might try to share the gospel, not your religious orientation or your denominational affiliation. You might try to share the gospel with somebody, and they will throw up, well, I'm this. Maybe I'm Catholic or I'm Presbyterian. Do you realize that's not the answer? And Simon Peter is saying to the church, you have been affiliated as people who were outside of the Jewish heritage. You were Gentiles. And yet you came into the family by Christ. So I want you to understand how big of a deal it is, this salvation that you have... And what it means for you as the church in Rome, in Italy, in Greece, and in Asia Minor to live out what you have received. He begins to teach them how to do this. As we walk through these letters, we're going to literally go through them verse by verse. Because I don't want to miss a moment to help you and I and the people of God today. You are the children of God today by Christ To learn what it means to be a healthy Christian, to bloom where you're planted, to begin to reflect what it means to be a child of God, and to impact your world no matter what it looks like around you. Because a lot of people are going to stay stuck waiting on pandemics to end, waiting on elections to occur, waiting on all kinds of things to happen in their life. And if you're waiting on that, you're going to remain lost. You have something greater as a Christian within you, something that is more important than anything the world can give you. And that is what equips you as a believer to move forward in this world and shine and bloom because God has equipped you right now, right where you are, to be successful. How do, we, how do we know how to receive these words that are given to us from 1 Peter? Well, the first thing, when I look at this passage, the life lesson, and this is kind of, we're going to break this down today. When I think about blooming, and I think about these Christians, and I think about Christians today, I want you to write this down. The people of Christ, because that's who Simon Peter is writing to. The people of Christ, as he writes to them, he helps them to understand the people of Christ. They find no acceptable excuse before God. They are given no acceptable excuse before God to not bloom where they are planted by God. The people of Christ. What you begin to see in the church in this generation. The people of Christ. Those who claim the name of Jesus, those who have genuinely received this precious gift of salvation from Christ, they find and they offer no acceptable excuse before God to not bloom where they are planted by God. And the Apostle Peter begins to spell this out. He talks to them about where they're living, what they're going through, who they are, And he helps them overcome. The first thing that he identifies the people of Christ as, he identifies them as people who follow authority. People who follow authority. Now, we've talked about authority many times because we all in life have some form of authority in our lives. All of us. We have the authority of our parents. If you're a student, um, if you're a college student living at home, you're still under their authority, right? Um, If they're paying your bills, you're under their authority. Um, If they're paying your bills, right? We have authority as students to those who teach us. Um, Last night, watching that game, uh, one of the players broke the rules, and this red card comes out in soccer, and that player is out of the game. Authority. There's always senses of authority. Um, spouses. We're going to talk about in this letter how our authority together in the home as husbands and wives and children, how that works together. Workers. Simon Peter's going to talk about the authority in your life as a worker, wherever it is that you serve, whether it's in civic duty to our country or to society, or if it's in a job environment where you work for someone else, there's an authority structure. As Simon Peter begins to talk to the Christians first and foremost, he identifies all of these cases for where the message comes from to help them move forward. And the first one is, as people who follow authority, we follow the authority of the Father. In this introduction, Simon Peter talks about the authority of the Father. As he identifies the character of God, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who? Now, he's not talking about Jesus Christ at this moment, and he's not talking about the Holy Spirit at this moment, so he's talking about the Father. By the way, here's one of those early pictures in the New Testament of the doctrine of the Trinity, which is hard to understand, right? But Simon Peter spells it out in this introduction. Why is there a father, a son, and the Holy Spirit? Well, he begins by talking about the authority of God the Father. So when you think about your life as a believer, you're under submission to the authority of God the Father. You have been placed where you are by God the Father. So... That blows your mind. You think about, wow, here on the West Bank, here in New Orleans, here in the region, here online. Where you are placed, it is under the authority, it is God's prerogative to have placed you there. And he describes the authority of the Father. Listen to this. Who, according to his great mercy, so what's the character of God, the authority of God? He's a God who has great mercy toward us. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Now we know that the receiving of being born again to a living hope is through Christ at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But who initiates it? We all sometimes will just say "Um, it's all about Jesus. And we forget that it is the prompting of the merciful Father who had the authority to choose salvation for us. And he's the one that initiated the whole process. That's authority. That's someone who cares about us. The first person of the Trinity. He talks about where our inheritance comes from. The Father has created a place where it is imperishable, undefiled, will not fall away. And we are protected, how? By the power of God. The power of who? The power of the Father. In our lives, submission to the authority as Christians begins with submission to God. It is God's preemptive work to reach out to us to get our attention and therefore for us to respond to his mercy and his grace. It begins with him. So Simon Peter goes through this expression of all that God does to rescue us. Then he goes to the authority of the Son. So as a Christian, this is where many of us don't have problems. We don't have problems with Christ because we know Christ saves us. But Peter points out how precious that is. As he goes through, he says, you receive this living hope. How? How do you receive the living hope? the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So immediately he begins to say the authority over your life is not a dead person. It's not a dead saint. It's not a dead good man. It's not someone who we think was a great person and therefore we honor them. The authority over your life is a resurrected Savior who had the power over death. So immediately he's reminding them of this great theological truth. Jesus is not a dead savior. God initiated it. Jesus fulfilled it. And that's how salvation began to come to your account. He talks about Jesus who, where he says all of these things when you are tested. Your faith, faith in who? Faith in Christ. Under the authority of the Father. Received by your faith in Christ. All of this results in praise, glory, and honor. When? When is praise, glory, and honor going to happen in your life? At the the resurrection? At the revelation of Jesus Christ? So immediately Simon Peter begins to tell these people who are troubled. Who are stressed who are anxious, who are going through hard times, immediately he begins to say, you are placed by God, you are going through these things, but Jesus is going to come back. He's a living Savior and he's a Savior who's going to return. Simon Peter writes this. Now I know many of you are going, well, why didn't he return yet? Simon Peter deals with that a little bit later on. That's why I love this letter. He deals with that because if you're like me, you go, well, Jesus... Why didn't you come back then? Or why didn't you come back here? Or why didn't you come back here? And where are you today? And Simon Peter says, "Listen," listen, and he gives a great explanation for it, which we're going to come to, not today. He's coming back. You need to remember that where you are right now. So you don't give up hope. You realize there's a revelation of Jesus and there's going to be this growth in your life right now. He talks about the authority of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You know, that chill bump that many of you say, oh, I'm feeling chill bumps. The Holy Spirit is not a chill bump. Okay, I realize there are moments where you sense God. There are moments where you feel the presence of God in church, out of church, special moments where you feel close to God. And the Holy Spirit may initiate those moments, but don't relegate the third person of the Godhead to a chill bump. Matter of fact, the Holy Spirit is not an it All right, let's just be really clear on this one, right? Because many people don't know how to feel, to talk about the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, sometimes we get uncomfortable. Well, those people are weird emotionally in a frenzy because they focus on the Holy Spirit. The Bible's very clear about who the Holy Spirit is. As he talks about what the Holy Spirit does in his introduction, verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God by the sanctifying work of who? Of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. So who is it in your life as a Christian that is speaking into your life directly on a daily basis, guiding you toward becoming more like Jesus? Who's the voice? And many people say, well, that's my conscience. I was raised with a conscience. I was raised in a home that taught me to do good and taught me what was bad, right? And some people would say, well, the Holy Spirit is your conscience. The Holy Spirit is not your conscience, Your conscience is this generic feeling of what's right and wrong and it will shift according to what the cultural norm may be. Think about it. In our generation today, what happens is many people's belief systems shift because of what they read or hear in the news. What they feel is right or wrong. The Holy Spirit is not limited to the opinions of people. The Holy Spirit wants to sanctify you to be more like Jesus. And Simon Peter says this third person of the Holy Trinity is guiding us to become, to look, to act, to be more like the Savior, Jesus Christ. He talks about the power of the Spirit. In verse 12, as we read, he said the gospel was preached to you by who? The Holy Spirit. When did you respond to Christ? Think about it. When did you respond to say yes to Jesus? What created that moment for you to either say yes or perhaps you're still in the camp that says no? And there's still that type of struggle in your life. I'm not ready. I don't know enough. Um, I'm not sure enough. Who is creating that moment? Well, it's not the preacher, although the preacher plays a role, it's not your in laws, although they play a role. Um, it's not your friend, although they play a role. It is God the Father revealing salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, being executed by the work of the Holy Spirit, designing every detail of your life. Every detail of your life to get you to a point where you say yes to the saving grace of God that is offered through Jesus. It's the Spirit that's pricking speaking, and guiding your heart. So not only does the Holy Spirit lead us to the moment where we will say yes to Jesus or continue to say no, which, by the way, the only sin in Scripture that the Bible says that Jesus clearly says that will keep you out of heaven, the only sin in Scripture that will keep you and I out of heaven is what? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? It's saying no to the Holy Spirit. It's saying, Holy Spirit, you're prompting. Holy Spirit, you're leading. I'm not listening. I don't care what you think. I don't care how you prompt. I don't care how you organize. I don't care if you bring me the truth. I'm not going to do it. And that's the one thing and the only thing that Jesus says. That will keep everybody who rejects the movement of God's Spirit from receiving eternal life. Simon Peter emphasizes the role of the Spirit to set us up to save us in the foreknowledge of God, which we're going to talk about. And he also emphasizes the work of the Spirit to purify us, sanctify us, and make us continually into the people that God created us to be. The authority of the Father, the Son, the Spirit. But he also mentions a few others. And I just put this in the last part. Because you don't want to miss how he introduces the letter. Peter, Simon Peter. Who is Simon Peter? In the introduction, verse 1, who is Simon Peter? An apostle of Jesus Christ. And he identifies through his introduction the power of the authority of those who walked with Jesus and who over time have been vessels that God would use to speak the truth about Jesus In this passage, and I don't want you to miss it, because many people will say, I don't understand the Bible. I can't read the Bible. I don't get all of this. And in this introduction, the Apostle Peter says, from all of time, even the prophets have been pointing toward Jesus. All of the scripture, all of the rules, all of the law, all of the events, they've all been pointing toward Jesus. And the people who studied him well, the prophets, and the people who walked with Jesus and understood him, the apostles, those are the ones to whom you listen. Because they're not just peddling their own message. They are proclaiming the truth of God revealed through Jesus, backed up by the Holy Spirit. Those are the people to whom you listen. It's why in this letter he reveals himself as Simon Peter, the apostle. Now, the reason I bring that out in the introduction, you're going, wow, man, that's an interesting introduction. What authority in your life will you listen to and then follow it? What authority? Is it your boss? Is it your wife? Is it your husband? Um, Is it your parents? Is it a friend? Who has the authority in your life To steer your decisions and your actions in the right direction. For the Christians of the early church. Christians who were under persecution. Christians who were dealing with difficult times. Difficult circumstances. For those people, the authority was Jesus. The authority was the Father. The authority was the Holy Spirit. And the authority was Simon Peter who walked with Christ. The authority was the scripture of the prophets that had been canonized over time. Matter of fact, one of the litmus tests to the Bible that you hold today, why are some books in the Bible and some books not? Why in some Bibles are there sections of books that you might not have in your Bible? Why does that exist? It's an issue of authority. If the authority was questioned, then it was thrown out. If the author peddled a message that was not clearly of the character of God, the revelation of Jesus, and inspired by the Holy Spirit for guiding the lives of Christians, it was not included. You'll go through all of history and you'll find all of these people who were named to be put in the Bible of books and letters and things that they wrote and they're not included in your scripture. Why? Authority. They didn't have the authority. Who determined the authority? the apostles, (laughs) the people who walked with Jesus, and the people who walked with the apostles. The letter that you're reading today, fascinating detail, was written in 63-64 AD, so the turn of the century, about 30-something years, 30-ish years after the crucifixion of Jesus. What you read today was canonized, held, and you get to read today from the year 63 64. Simon Peter writes this from house arrest in Rome. Simon Peter gives his life under the persecution of the Roman Emperor Nero in 67 AD. So three years before he would give his life, he pins these words, helping Christians in that generation understand the authority of the Father, the authority of the Son, the authority of the Holy Spirit, and those who have walked with Christ. We are bringing you the message under which you can trust, you can grow, you can bloom, even in an empire in a Roman world that's against you. Now, as a Christian today, when you think about it, How much authority do you give to the Scripture? How much authority do you give to the will of the Father? The will of the Son? And the prompting of His Holy Spirit in your life? To grow and to bloom where you're planted is to understand who has the authority. We deal with it in normal life. It's no different in our spiritual life. And to grow as a Christian is to surrender to the authority of those who point us in the right direction. Number two. People... ...who follow Christ, who are not offering excuses for why things are the way they are... ...or who are not stuck because the world has turned against them. They are people who are strangers to the world, but they are known to God. They are people who are strangers to the world, but they are known to God. As Peter the Apostle introduces this letter, he says, This is who I am. This is who I'm writing to. Those who reside as aliens. I mean, I know we all look funny, right? But to call us aliens, there's got to be a different meaning, right? This is not one of those things where you can go and say, See, I knew there were aliens and life outside. No, keep watching the Marvel movies. That's enough aliens for you, right? But here's the reality. What's the word mean? Strangers. Not residents of the place in which you dwell. So he's basically saying to the Christians, you are in the world. Have you heard this? But you're not of the world. You live in the world, but you do not belong to the world. You are not someone who has to depend on all of the world's structures for your life. Let me say that again. You are not someone who has to depend and follow and hold on for your total existence to all the structures of the world. As a matter of fact the world at that time was set against and turning against all of the Christians. So when you think about today and you hear people say things today and you see how our world is progressing, it's been there before. It's actually happened before. And so when you look at that, Simon Peter, the apostle, in a world that had turned. And it was gradually turning. And then it began to speed up in 68. In eighty, seventy, 70, the city Jerusalem, which was the home to the J Church, the Jerusalem church, was destroyed by the Roman Empire. Matter of fact, they blamed the fallout in the world on the Christians. Nero the president of the world at that time. He was the emperor who thought he was above everyone else. He blamed all of the problems in the world at that time on the followers of Jesus. Why? Because you couldn't understand them. They didn't act the way that everybody else acted. They didn't participate in the... Pagan orgies and parties that everybody else participated in. They were different in their lifestyle and so therefore they were following higher desires than just base immorality. They were guided by a different principle and therefore the Roman government couldn't control that. The Roman government couldn't control their faith in a non-threatening way resurrected Savior who wanted good for humanity. And so what they do? They turned on him. And by AD 70, not only is Simon Peter gone, not only is the Apostle Paul gone, but Jerusalem is gone. Wiped off the map by Rome. Matter of fact, the book that you have called Revelation was written during this time frame that helps you understand how Christians were trying to survive in a world that had turned against them. And therefore Simon Peter writes, This isn't your home. As a matter of fact, he writes to them that they are being chosen, accepted, kept by God's foreknowledge, and that he is the one who is protecting them in this midst in this midst. They are strangers to the world, but they're known to God, and that helps us understand today Location and status is irrelevant. Where they were located was not the relevant issue. Well, this area is better than this area to raise my faith. Irrelevant. This area is better to get a job. Irrelevant. This place is better than somewhere else. Or this circumstance is better. Irrelevant. It wasn't relevant. What was relevant was their obedience and sanctification To the work of the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit that was speaking to them as a part of a church that was meant to bloom in a broken world. That's what was relevant. They're changing to be more like Jesus. Their obedience to Christ, even to the point of being persecuted for their faith. Now bring that forward today. How many times are you genuinely persecuted for your faith? Perhaps it's coming. Perhaps. More is happening in our world. And I'm not a prophet of that sort. I don't know. But I do know that in scripture it happened. And what was the word to them? Was the word to them, hey, um, let's turn the world upside down. Well, actually, that was the accusation of the pagans against the Christians. But that's not who the Christians were. It's not who the early church were. What was the job of the early Christian obey the Lord follow the Lord become more like the Lord why because that's how their character and their life would shine in a world that turned against the Christians guess what blamed it all on them but did the church die No. it might have gone underground for a minute things might have changed but did people abandon the faith there's a question that's asked many times in history Would people really follow a dead Savior? Would Simon Peter, who writes this in 63, 64, dies in 67. All he had to do was say it's a joke. All he had to do is say "Um, Christ did not resurrect from the dead. Would people follow a dead Savior? The answer is no. They wouldn't give their life for something that was a farce, would they? No, Simon Peter... The Apostle Paul, many other Christians in this generation, they took what was coming to them, Why? Because they would be obedient to Christ, even to the point of persecution. They would want to be sanctified more like Christ in their life, even if it cost them everything. They were strangers to the world, but they were known to God. The foreknowledge of God. In this passage, many people will get this passage and pull it out of reference and use it for a doctrinal position. Um, you know, to say God knows and therefore he chooses Who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved? Have you heard that before? If you haven't, it's called predestination, right? And some people will use that to say, well, that person's just, doggone it, they're just going to go to hell anyways, right? And then some people will use that to their advantage. Well, I'm going to hell anyways, so I'm going to live like it the rest of my life. That's not what foreknowledge is. The authority of God allows God to know everything that's going to happen. Do you and I know everything that's going to happen? No. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. God knows everything. And in his foreknowledge applied to the lives of his children. Knowing that he has chosen them through Christ in the midst of where they live. Catch this. Where they dwell. What they do. His foreknowledge of them as his children through Christ. Regardless of where they are and what they're going through gives them some benefit that those who have not responded to Christ do not receive. And the children of God receive things that they don't. They are people, thirdly, who live out. And they cherish their salvation. The people of God are different because they live out and cherish their salvation and they receive certain things. I pointed them out when I read them, but I want to point them out to you again. What do you receive as a follower of Jesus that people who do not follow him will not receive? Look at this you're born again to a living hope. Blessed be the God of our Father. Who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? A living hope, not a dead hope, a living hope. What is a living hope? It is a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If Jesus is resurrected from the dead, then though you may suffer, as Simon Peter would say to them, and you are in a moment of history that is unique, though you're there, you have a hope that is living. You have a hope that will be revealed. You have a hope that can change the world because Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and that same power dwells in you as a believer. That same hope, that same life is in you as a child of God. That is one of the benefits that you have Verse 4, you obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. It is reserved in heaven for you. So they obtain an inheritance that is imperishable. Can't be broken. Can't be stolen. Doesn't get taxed. (laughs) You don't have to pay an insurance premium on it. Right? Something that is beautiful, perfect, undefiled, not able to be taken away from you. And where is it reserved? In heaven, don't underestimate the beauty of heaven. As a matter of fact, Simon Peter helps them understand heaven's a whole lot better than the junk we got going on today. Now you may not be in a rush to get there like neither am I because there's some good things about this world. But heaven's better. The inheritance is imperishable. And that is reserved only for the child of God who is following Jesus and redeemed himself under the blood by faith. You receive the ability to be protected by the power of God. Verse 5, who, the children of God, you are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. When? Revealed in the last time. Simon Peter is helping them understand that in the midst of... Of living in a difficult life, a difficult world, their salvation is secure, it's inherited, it's protected, and it's going to be revealed in the last time. Well, when's the last time? Well, it's one of two things. And Simon Peter actually helped them understand this. The last time could be the last moment you breathe, because that's going to be your last time. And so with the Christians in that generation, as he writes to them, your salvation is going to be real when you face God. But there's also a second meaning. Because there is the revelation of Jesus Christ that he mentioned. And the second meaning is, and it will be revealed when the Savior Jesus Christ and the authority of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit is revealed at the end of time. And then you'll know you are on the right team. So don't quit. Don't give up, even though you suffer for a little while. That is one of the benefits Number four, this benefit of faith, your faith, is tested. Your faith is tested. And it is tested to produce praise, glory, honor, and joy. Tests produce praise, glory, honor, and joy. So he's talking to them about the generation that they're living in. And I think this is where many times people, not just Christians, but also people who have yet to name Jesus as their Savior, they all, we all at times naturally think, well, it should all just be perfect. My family should be perfect. All my choices should be perfect. Where I live should be perfect. My job should be perfect. All my friends should be perfect. And there's one thing that I've learned throughout life that perhaps you've learned too. Nothing is perfect ever. Right? We're tested in the midst ...of our imperfect lives. Our faith is tested because a test, when you pass the test, it produces joy. Now I think about the students here at Calvary Baptist School. And one of our principles is, hey, just give your best. Do you know what it's like to be a C student and pass the test? I mean, everybody like wants the A because the A is perfect, right? But you know, for some of our children, when they get the C, do you know what it's like? It's joy. <laughs> thank you, God. They made it through. Some of you can relate to that, right? Because you were that, thank you, Lord, I graduated, right? And I made it all the way through. In life, tests, when you get through them, they produce a result that allows you to continue to move forward. And Simon Peter is saying, you're being tested right now. You're going through trials right now, but that will produce for you a crown of glory that results in praise, glory, honor, and joy at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you don't see him yet, but you believe in him and you rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith. What? Verse nine, the salvation of your souls. As he goes through this passage, he helps his Christians then and hopefully us today understand that where we are is not by accident. What we go through, God has not turned a blind eye to. Where we need to go is through our obedience and sanctification and being led by the Spirit of God. That is how we continue to bloom in a world In which we are strangers, aliens, we are unknown, we don't fit in. But we bloom and we shine and we become who God created us to be. As we surrender to him, submitting to his authority. As we understand that there are people. And this is where he joins the church together. There are people around us to help us grow in our faith. So that we will not only be strangers in the world. But ultimately we become more important because we are known to God. And we live out and cherish our salvation together. As he finishes this letter, and he talks about the Holy Spirit and the the salvation as he finishes this, this introduction, it was revealed that they were not serving themselves. Talking about the apostles, the prophets, the church of old. They weren't serving themselves, but he says to them, they were serving you. Now bring that forward today. Scripture was written... Simon Peter wrote them, but he brings it today. It was written because they were serving you. And the whole church and your whole faith and all of history, as you think about today and as you think about whether or not you're going to move forward in faith with Christ and you're going to recommit and you're going to overcome excuses, you think about the whole church was built on Jesus Christ and the backs of others. There were people throughout all of history... Who understood the grace, the mercy of God. And they proclaimed the grace and mercy of God to be revealed in the Messiah. The Messiah was Jesus. The suffering servant and the glorified servant. Simon Peter talks about his sufferings and he talks about a day when glory is coming. He talks about that. And he says, all of this was proclaimed to you. He says this, this is very personal. So it would be different than you and I today going, gosh, you've preached a long time and I'm tired. and That's a lot of information. Woo! I get it. But Simon Peter would say to them, this has been brought to you on the backs of Christians for generations. It's been brought to you today. So as you face the persecution of Rome, as you face difficulty in your life, do not get stuck And there is no excuse that is acceptable before God when you have been given the salvation that you've been given by God. Move forward, bloom, and grow. And with that, it's time for us to ask ourselves after 12 verses, am I willing to bloom now, today, In my relationship with God, where I'm planted, what I'm facing, am I willing to move forward with that? Let's bow our heads because I think a personal moment between us and God, allowing His Spirit to speak to us, is a very important life-changing moment for us. As you're praying, as your heads are bowed, and your eyes are closed, or as you're pondering, what would God say to you? Let's begin right here. Is there a reason that you would offer to God the Father to not place your faith in Jesus right now? If you've never done that, right now you're searching your soul and the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. Is there a reason legitimately that you would offer to Almighty God and say, I'm going to say no to Jesus? If that's where you are today... And the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm trying to tell you, I've been setting it all up. I've put people in your life. I've given you circumstances. I've shown you my glory. And there's a Savior that wants to rescue you. And you're saying, no, that's blasphemy. That's where you stand right now. And God, in his great mercy, did not send his son Jesus for that. He sent his son Jesus to rescue you. So perhaps today, whether in the room or online, part of you beginning... To move out of the funk, move out of being stuck, move out of being lost, is to say for the first time, genuinely by faith, Dear God, forgive me of my sins, forgive me of my arrogance, forgive me of my broken ways and the things that I have done against you. And today, I confess those things before you as God. And you have sent your son Jesus to cleanse me, to enter into my life and change me. So I ask right now, Jesus, will you save me? Jesus, will you make me a child of God? And Holy Spirit, will you fill me because I want to follow you and become the person that you created me to be? With heads bowed and in your moment of listening to the Spirit, if that's you, both in the room or online, that's genuinely who you are and what you want. And you've said yes to Jesus. Then you've entered into the family of faith. And you've begun the journey of a lifetime. And God wants you to bloom. Now if that's you, I encourage you, let somebody know. That's not something that you keep private. That's something you share with the people in your life that love you. Now Christians. Church. Simon Peter wrote a letter to people struggling then. It's as if he was writing that letter to you and I today. As a Christian, what would you offer to God, to Jesus who saved you, and to the Holy Spirit who dwells in you? As a Christian, what would you offer to Him and say, here's my excuse for not moving forward in the world in which I live? Here's my excuse for not being obedient. Here's my excuse for causing problems in the church. Here's my excuse for my bad attitude. Here's my excuse, God, for my immaturity as a Christian. Here's my excuse for not being supportive and helping. Here's my excuse for not serving with joy. Christian, at the end of the day, when we look at Scripture, when we look at the church, when we look at history, The children of God offer no acceptable excuse to not bloom where they have been planted by God. So whatever it is today, let's lay that down at the feet of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I sense you working in our room today and in our lives of the people online. And in this moment, we stop. Because the world's crazy around us. We live in this world, but we are strangers, non residents, aliens. Where you have placed us, God, we ask you to use us. We lay before you our sin, our frailty, our attitudes, and anything that keeps us that we would use to not serve you and to live fully for you, we lay that down before you. And in the days ahead, not only in this church, but in our community, in the places where you send us and you place us, God, we pray you'll cause the church of Christ to bloom. And we offer these things to you with sincere hearts today, Because you are God. Jesus, thank you for salvation. And Holy Spirit, thank you for guiding us the entire way. We love you. And we're grateful for this salvation. And the family of faith you've placed us in. In that holy name of Christ. Amen. I'm excited about this series because to take an entire book of scripture and apply it to today. And go through all of the details. It's hard work. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. Go back. Take First Peter chapter 1. And read that. Guess what I'm going to preach out of next week. I'm going to pick right up in 13. So you want to get ahead of the game? First Peter chapter 1. Chapter 2. Begin to read the book. Immerse yourself in it as we walk through that together. Thank you for being faithful in your tithes and offerings. We have one small item of business we need to cover before you leave. So according to the way that we operate with our structures by way of our core team and our deacons, you were given a copy, which is our budget for the church. And we've allowed the two-week period for you to be able to ask questions, visit. And if you like that, you were able to do that. We promoted that two weeks ago. Here's the reality. Our budget is a guide. You saw the numbers that we celebrate for what God has done. But budgetarily, we've been behind this last couple of years, but we make it work. We make it work because we're not limited by what the world says. We continue to be creative, and it's a guide, and we seek to fulfill that. You have that. You've been able to look at that. So we need to affirm that as a church. It's just an item of business. So. For all of you who are in favor of affirming the faithfulness of God for what he's been doing through this church, how he's provided in the midst of two storms, two pandemics, two shutdowns, and we continue to move forward because we are the church of God, to affirm that in our commitment to our budget, our giving, and our faithfulness in serving, would you say amen? One, two, three, amen. Thank you for affirming that. We're very grateful for you. Now, here's the deal. I hate business when it's not really the real business. You need to walk out of this place today. I need to walk out of this place today. Saying, Jesus, I'm a child of God. I'm thankful for my salvation. I'm thankful for my church. And I want to bloom right now. Right now. Not, I'm coming back to church in a month when everything's taken care of. It's not going to be taken care of in a month. (laughs) Well, uh, I'm going to get right with God when the world gets right. The world's not getting right. It's getting worse. Okay. Walk out of here today and go, it is time for me to bloom in my relationship with the Lord right where I'm planted. Amen. God, thank you for your people. Thank you for your church. Thank you for those that love you for all of history and who have been a part of a faithful group of people throughout all of time who follow Christ and who know the better way. I pray that you'll bless them today. You'll bless your church here and your church around the world as we continue to proclaim the message of salvation, life, hope, joy, peace in Christ that comes no other way. We're so grateful for that today. So speak that word to your children and bless them as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all and good day.